We're in the Gospel of Luke this morning, the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 3. We're looking at the voice in the wilderness, John the Baptist, God raising up John the Baptist to prepare the way of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we just ask that you would pour out your spirit, that you would speak to us. Lord, we thank you for the gift of repentance in our lives to turn our hearts towards you for salvation. Lord, as believers, to turn back to you, to be in fellowship with you. We do pray that there would be a time of refreshing that would come into our lives uh, through repentance. So Holy Spirit, we know you're here with us, but we welcome you. Pray you'd bless our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse one, now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Atura, in the region of Taconicus, and Lishnus, tetrarch of Abilene. So let, let's process that a little bit. So how's that for Happy Labor Day? So, so who are all of these people that Luke is introducing to us? Remember, he's giving us a detailed account of the life of Jesus. Tiberius Caesar is the emperor. So he is in charge of Rome, is the, the ultimate uh, leader. Pontius Pilate, is the governor of Judea, and Judea is southern Israel. Herod is the tetrarch of Galilee, so he's the local leader of, of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee region, northern Israel. His brother Philip is the tetrarch of Atura, which is east of the Jordan River, and Philip's going to come into play in the midst of our study this morning. Lishness, we don't know much about him. There's not a lot listed in scriptures for us or also in uh, history. What does this tell us about the times in which Jesus is going to start his public ministry? Is it's right in the middle of the Roman Empire. It's a dark time spiritually. There, there's so much happening for the nation of Israel as they're under the Roman thumb. But we also see the spiritual climate of Israel in verse 2, with Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Why two high priests? Because Annas was the high priest, but Rome displaced him and said, you can no longer be the high priest. So he put his son-in-law Caiaphas in place as the high priest, but Israel still recognized Annas. So, so Rome was really trying to take control of the temple as well. We look at the life and the ministry of Christ and the corruption that was coming out of the temple, and ultimately the plot to kill Jesus was right out of the leadership in the temple, and the temple had become a den of thieves. So on the political front, corruption. God's house, corruption. Darkness all around in this culture, but the word of God comes to John the Baptist, where at? In the wilderness. John the Baptist is not hanging out in the capital. He's not in the political circles. He's not in the religious circles. He's not hanging out in the temple. He's in the wilderness. But what does he have that the high priest doesn't have? He has a real authentic relationship with God, and he has a call from God. God has, has called him and he receives the word of the Lord. And that's so important in our lives is that we would be hearing and receiving the word of the Lord. And sometimes God takes us to the wilderness, doesn't he? 
takes us to that time of isolation so that we can hear the word of God. In verse 3, and he went into all the region around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance from the remission of sins. A Bible map really helps in this. If, if you look at the back of your Bible and you see the Sea of Galilee, you see the Jordan coming down. And he's in the Jordan region, in this wilderness region, out preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of of sins. John the Baptist's message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Also, that was the message of Jesus, repentance. The disciples, repentance. So what does repentance mean? It literally means a change of mind and a change of direction. You're headed south, I-25 towards Pueblo, and then you have an epiphany. Why in the world am I going to Pueblo? <laughs> And you change your mind, and you change your direction, and you do a, a U-turn and head back to the promised land of Colorado Springs, right? Actually, <laughs> so we went to Pueblo Reservoir yesterday. It was really fun. So that there is some redeeming qualities of, of Pueblo. But spiritually, it's to realize I'm headed in the wrong direction. And we have a way of thinking about sin. And a lot of times when we're in the deception of sin, we don't see any problem with it especially before knowing Christ as our Savior. But God gets a hold of our attention, and we turn from sin, and we turn to Christ. And John the Baptist says he prepares people for Jesus. It's them understanding that they're sinners and understanding their need to repent from sin. As New Covenant believers, when we get baptized, we're baptized because we are forgiven. It's our public declaration of faith that old has been passed away, and we're made new creations in Christ Jesus. John's baptism, because Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet and hasn't rose from the dead, is a baptism acknowledging your sin. And for the nation of Israel, this would feel strange because when a Gentile wanted to be part of the Jewish faith, they would be baptized. But this is Jews and Gentiles getting baptized, recognizing that they're sinners. And for Jews, that would be something that they wouldn't normally do. And God is moving amongst the nation of Israel to prepare their hearts for Jesus, that they would see their need for a Savior. The remission of sins comes through the work of Christ, comes through the Messiah, God coming in human flesh to die for sin, to conquer sin. In verse 4, as it's written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, quoting Isaiah 40, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill brought low, the crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So John the Baptist is this voice in the wilderness. Similar to how the manger was an odd place for a baby, the wilderness was an odd place to find the word of God being proclaimed. This is part of the move of God that was taking place, that people would travel by foot to go out into the wilderness to hear the word of God. This is fulfilling Isaiah 40. And the role of John the Baptist was to prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. 
In these times when a government official would come in, there would be those that would go before him to make sure that there was smooth travel, to make sure that the roads were prepared. And John the Baptist is preparing people's hearts. You might look at these verses and think that this is describing the ministry of Jesus, which, which could possibly be the case. But in context, it's very clear that this is how God is using John the Baptist to prepare the way of the Lord. The valleys are filled, the mountains are brought low, the crooked places are, are made straight, the rough ways smooth, so that all see the salvation of the Lord. All see the grace and truth in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So we get John's message in verse 7. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That's quite a greeting. That's quite a good morning. Thanks for coming, right? It's like you bunch of snakes. Who warned you of God's wrath to come? And he's not speaking to a particular individual. He's not speaking to the religious leaders. He's speaking to everybody. He's speaking to the whole group. He's saying, you're all a bunch of snakes. You all have sin. You're all in this place where you need to repent and receive the forgiveness of sin that can only come through Christ Jesus. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Fruits worthy of repentance. If we really change our mind and change our direction, it is going to be seen in our lives. Not, not perfection, not perfection, but it's clear. I understand that I'm a sinner. I believe in Christ and fruit is going to result from that decision. As believers, even if we're convicted of sin and we're repenting of sin, there's going to be some fruit that comes from that because that's evidence of the fact that I have indeed changed my mind. I have indeed changed my direction. And so John the Baptist is saying, I don't just want you to talk about repentance. I don't want you to just understand that you're a sinner, but turn away from your sin and allow that to be seen in your actions. And don't just rely upon the fact that you're an Israelite, that you're a descendant of Abraham. It would be easy for the Israelites to be in this place of, well, Abraham, he's my father, so I'm good simply by the fact that I'm an Israelite. And God does not save us by association. It can't be that, well, my parents are believers, or my spouse is a believer. I, I grew up in a, a Christian home. Nobody says this anymore. Well, I, I'm a Christian because I'm an American. <laughs> that was days past. But that idea of, well, I was born in America, so I must be a Christian, it, it just doesn't work that way. The only way that you can have a relationship with God is, is for you to choose, for you to trust the gospel, for you to turn from sin and receive his grace and forgiveness. So John the Baptist challenges that. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. <laughs> you guys are stones. You're, you're in a bad place spiritually, but God's able to raise you up and to raise up children of Abraham unto himself. And even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What do you do with a tree in your yard that's dead? Eventually, you're going to cut it down. 
Eventually, you're going to go, this, this is a, a fire hazard. Fruit's important. Fruit is not what saves us. What saves us is trusting in what Christ has done for us. But fruit is that evidence that God has, has worked in our lives. Again, don't hear the wrong message. This is not perfection. We're not going to experience perfection on this side of heaven. But this is a changed life where we can go, man, I can see that Christ has changed my life and there's fruit that's resulted that's come from him. So the people asked him saying, what shall we do then? This is a beautiful response to this message of repentance is is what do we do? We see the holiness of God. We see our sinful state. What do we do? And several from different parts of society are asking this question. And he answered and said to them, he who has two tunics Let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. As you're seeing your need for repentance, give. Give to those in need. Do you have two coats? Then give to a person that doesn't have one. Do you have food in abundance? Then share that food with others. It's uncertain times that we're living in. And we're not sure what the economy is going to do. And it can be easy for us to get to a place where I'm going to guard everything that the Lord has provided for me. And it's good to use stewardship, but don't forget the importance of giving. When the Holy Spirit places on your heart someone that's in need, maybe the reason the Lord has provided excess is to share with somebody that has a a genuine need. In verse 12, then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? What? Tax collectors? Are repenting and getting right with God? Tax collectors would basically charge you much more than what you owed. Say you owed $500, they may charge you $750 and pocket $250 for themselves. And God's moving in their hearts and not just one tax collector, but plural multiple tax collectors, that they come to be baptized and they're asking the same question. What do we do? What does this mean? What does this look like for us to walk in repentance? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. So only collect the just amount. Collect that $500. This is amazing in verse 14. Likewise, the soldiers asked him saying, and what shall we do? God convicting Roman soldiers. Them coming out to hear the word of God in the wilderness. Phenomenal. Saying, what do we do? What do we do? We're in this place of brokenness before God. So he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely. And be content with your wages. Roman soldiers would use their position to intimidate, to falsely accuse, to bribe And God calls these Roman soldiers to walk in integrity and and do justly. When my brother was in college and I was in school ministry, we took a trip down to the Baja of Mexico, which is a lot of fun for us. We went there a lot in high school doing missions trips. And he got pulled over for, for speeding. And the police officer said, I have to confiscate your license. Go ahead and give me your driver's license. And I'm going to take it up to Ensenada. And if you want to get your license back, you need to go to this place. And my brother wisely asked and said, well, how much would it cost if I were to pay the fine right now? 
And the police officer's like, well, you can pay me right now and get your license back. We chose that option, right? (laughs) And this is the practice that the Roman soldiers were doing and God calls them to walk in a way that would honor the Lord. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, notice who's not asking the question, what shall we do? The religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisee, the high priest. They're in a place of feeling like they have it all together. They're not acknowledging their sin. The talk of the town is, is John the Baptist the Christ? Is he the Messiah? And John wisely answers. John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandals strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This is a dangerous point in John the Baptist's life because he could start to take God's glory. He could start to think, well, man, this is pretty neat that people might think that I'm the Messiah. But John was very much removed from that thought. John had this understanding in his life squared away that there is a Messiah and I am not it. (laughs) And we'll be wise to remember that as well. There's one Savior, Jesus Christ. There's one that died for our sins and rose again. And he's mightier than us. And we're not even worthy to do the smallest act of service. Here, John the Baptist is saying, I'm not even worthy to take off Jesus' sandals. This would be the job of a servant, to wash the feet of, of the master. And sometimes we, in serving the Lord, can start to feel like we get the short end of the stick. I've got to serve this person or deal with these people at work or I'm so tired of doing these mundane tasks at, at home and nobody seems to notice and those types of things. But if we remember who God is and the grace that he's given us, the sin that he's forgiven us, that we're adopted sons and daughters of God with an eternal inheritance, it's like, you know, I'm not even worthy to take out the trash for, for Christ. I'm not even worthy to do the, the smallest thing. And John the Baptist has that wonderful heart. And he declared, I must decrease and he must increase. This promise of Jesus in his greatness, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire and power. Here, John the Baptist is baptizing with water, but Jesus is going to immerse you into the Holy Spirit. Baptism speaks of immersion. In John 14 through 17, Jesus is having the Last Supper with his disciples, and he says something to them that would be mind-blowing. It says, it's actually good for me to go away. And it's better for the Holy Spirit to come to you, your helper. That's how powerful the Holy Spirit is in our lives. Jesus died and rose again. The disciples are hiding in fear and Jesus comes in, not using the doors, just pops in. And he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came inside of them. The moment that you trusted Christ as your Savior, you became the temple of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit living inside of you. The book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. They experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Spirit. The book of Acts is God supernaturally working through 
forgiven sinners who are willing to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. We get really nervous about the Holy Spirit because we're, we're wondering, well, what's going to happen when I submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit? Well, remember the purpose of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you so you shall be my witness. Do we want to be a witness of Jesus Christ? Do we want people to be able to look at our lives and see Jesus? Yes, absolutely. So rely upon the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. Who doesn't want that in their life? How, how attractive is that? There's nothing to be afraid of with the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught us with the Holy Spirit that we being evil know how to give good gifts to our kids. Anybody starting to think about Christmas? Way too early, right? But we love to give good gifts to our kids. How much more so does the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Wait a second. I thought when we trust to Christ that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Why would we have to ask for the Holy Spirit? Because God wants us to humble ourselves and continually rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit. The secret to the Christian life is the Holy Spirit. When you look at what God's calling us to, there is no way we can live it out. We can't do it in our own strength. We need the filling and the power of the Holy Spirit. God's ready to give us that power if we're willing to ask. Speaking of the ministry of Christ, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Jesus is able to separate the wheat from the chaff. What does that mean? From those that know him and those that don't know him. He sees our hearts. He sees if we trust Christ for salvation. But he also sees if we've rejected Christ, if we haven't yet turned to Christ. And, and Jesus will sort out the wheat from the chaff. And with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. So this is just a small little snippet of John the Baptist's preaching, but they were exhortations. They were emphasizing God's holiness and the need for repentance. Things take an interesting turn in verse 19 and 20. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all of the evils which Herod had done, also added this above all, that he shut John up in prison. So Herod, the Tetrarch of Galilee, just decides to take his brother's wife. Not so good for family relationships. Labor Day barbecues were a little awkward after that. And John the Baptist, surprisingly, doesn't put up with it. And John the Baptist calls Herod out on his sin and says, this is wrong. You should not take your brother's wife and also other evils that Herod was doing to the point where then Herod chooses to lock John the Baptist up in prison. There would be some that would look at John the Baptist and say, he's becoming political. And he doesn't have a place speaking in to politics that are happening in Israel because Herod is a political leader. 
But John the Baptist felt called by God to speak truth in love to all facets of life, including the political arena. Why? I believe because John the Baptist had a heart for Herod. John the Baptist wanted to see Herod repent of his sins and get right with the Lord. Something that John the Baptist was praying for. And interestingly enough, while John the Baptist was arrested, Herod wanted to hear him. He would bring John the Baptist to come and speak to him. But ultimately, Herodias, his brother's wife, had it out for his head. And Herodias' daughter is dancing before Herod, and Herod's pleased, and he says, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. The daughter consults with mom, and mom says, we want the head of John the Baptist. We want John's head served up on a platter. That's exactly what took place. John's martyred, and his head is brought to Herodias and her daughter. John the Baptist speaking out on God's design for sexuality cost him his life. But I think John the Baptist felt like it was worth it because John the Baptist's bold stance led hearts to Jesus Christ. When we see Jesus coming on the scene and multitudes following Christ, that began with John the Baptist's willingness to not bow down to the pressure that was on him to stop speaking God's message. Rome is a lot like the United States of America. We're able to look back at Rome and know the sexual perversion that was taking place in Rome. And it caused Rome to self-destruct the Roman Empire. We are self-destructing as a culture because of sexual sin. And now our culture is trying to redefine sexuality. And I'm not going to back down from God's message on sexuality because God's not ashamed of his design. Our government does not get to define sexuality. They've crossed a line. God gets to define sexuality. It's between a man and a woman. Also, our government and our culture is trying to devalue life at a rapid rate. This just happened this week. Yelp, are you all familiar with Yelp? You know, when you go in to look up a a business, they decided to put a disclaimer on all pregnancy resource centers throughout the country. So if you go into Yelp and you pull up a pregnancy resource center, this is what it says. This is the disclaimer. Crisis pregnancy centers typically provide limited medical services and may not have licensed medical professionals. But most pregnancy resource centers around the country do have licensed medical professionals. And that's definitely the case with Life Network here in Colorado Springs. Rich Bennett wrote an email this week in response to this, speaking of the medical professionals at at Life Network. Of course, we do provide medical services, and we do 
have seven staff nurses, five volunteer nurses, one EMT, and four physicians who work with us. That's 17 active licensed medical professionals helping provide our services. Herod wanted to silence John the Baptist's message on sexual integrity, and the world wants to silence the message of God on sexual integrity and also on life. Google announced that they're going to intentionally try to bury inside of their search engines pregnancy resource centers for so it's difficult for women to find pregnancy resource centers. What's that all about? And I think you know this, but I just want to share this with you in love and humility. Church, we are living in it now. We are living in a time now where there is an intentional effort to silence God's message. And it's found on the internet. And on the internet, there's an active movement to take place to say, if you have a message that doesn't line up with the status quo, you no longer have the freedom of speech. And the reality of freedom of speech is to be able to articulate different views. I understand other people are going to have different views on sexuality and different views on abortion. But what makes America great is we should be able to have a civil, loving dialogue about it without being silenced. We're living in it. It's happening and it's taking place. And you're like, wow, praise the Lord for the discouragement on Labor Day, right? But don't be discouraged. Because was John the Baptist silenced? No. God used his life. The message got out. The purpose for John the Baptist's life was fulfilled. He was that voice in the wilderness. And as God stirs us to speak his message, we have to remember why. Why was John speaking this way to Herod? Because he loved Herod and wanted to see Herod know the Messiah, know Jesus. And we can get to a place where we're just frustrated with sin and we're frustrated with culture and we're frustrated with this movement to try to silence truth. But why are we speaking truth? Hopefully, it's because we love them. Hopefully, it's because we want government officials that stand for death to get to a place where they know Jesus Christ and am crucified and they're saved. We need to be careful that we don't get on a bully pulpit and we just start beating people up. We want to share the truth in love and remember the purpose. The purpose is the gospel. The purpose is Jesus died for Herod, died for Herodias. He died for all of us. And to say, Lord, I want to share truth, but I want to share it in love. I want to share it in a way where people can understand who Jesus Christ is. But I think most of us in the course of our lifetime are going to face a decision if we're going to be silenced when it comes to God's truth on sexual integrity and life. And I would encourage you, line yourself up with God and let God sort it out. Do it in truth, do it in love, but line yourself up with God because our culture needs the truth of scriptures to be shared. In verse 21, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized, and while he prayed, the heaven was open. So before John the Baptist gets arrested, he has the joy of baptizing Jesus. Jesus is not baptizing, acknowledging his sin. He is getting baptized, 
showing his submission to the Father's plan. Only Luke's account lets us know that Jesus prayed as well. So as John baptizes Jesus, Jesus prayed and, and the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. A beautiful portrait of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like a dove. This gentleness but power coming upon Jesus. In his humanity, he needed the power of the Holy Spirit. As he's beginning his public ministry, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. You have Jesus submitting to the plan of the Father, and then you have the voice of the Father affirming the Son. This is my boy right here. I love him. This is my beloved Son. I'm well pleased in him. And this audible voice comes from the Father from heaven. Wouldn't you love to hear the audible voice of the Father? What, what does it sound like, right? Eventually we will when we're, we're in heaven. Verse 23, now Jesus himself began his ministry about 30 years of age. Numbers chapter 4 tells us that you couldn't serve as a priest in the tabernacle and temple until you were 30 years old. This was the accepted time for you to be able to, to step into to ministry. And so Jesus lived 30 years in somewhat of obscurity, working faithfully as a carpenter. He understands mundane work, and he did it to the glory of the Father. The rest of the chapter is the genealogy of Jesus. I'm going to save you the pain and save me the humiliation of reading all of those names to you. But there's 76 names that are listed, and there are some differences between the genealogy in Matthew and the genealogy in Luke. Matthew begins with Adam and worked forward to Jesus in three sets of 14 generations. Luke genealogy begins with Jesus and works back to God. Other differences between the two genealogies, Luke included 20 names prior to Abraham and he stated that Adam was the son of God. So he goes even beyond Abraham. If you study this closely, you'll notice that there is a distinction in these two genealogies, and it comes at David. And Matthew's genealogy traces it through David's son Solomon. And then what we find in Luke's genealogy is he traces it not through Solomon, but a different son through Nathan. So a lot of Bible teachers and Bible scholars feel that Luke's genealogy is actually Mary's line. And then Matthew chapter 1 is Joseph's line, and both Mary and Joseph would be descendants of David, but through different of David's sons. Now, why would it be important for God to include both genealogies? Because God's covering both of his fronts. God told David, the promise to David, that his descendants would reign forever that his house would reign forever. So Jesus as the Messiah had to be the descendant of David. Well, why is it important to come through Joseph? Because Joseph's not his biological dad, but he was his legal earthly dad. So Jews would only say that this is a viable genealogy if it came through Joseph. But then we also know, well, Mary is his biological mom, a virgin birth of, of the Holy Spirit, 
So what if Mary wasn't a descendant of David? Well, she too was a descendant of David. And there's, there's a lot of fascinating things to study uh, in the genealogy if you want to look into it more. I'd like to leave us with this verse in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. It's an awesome promise when it speaks of repentance. It says, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, would you turn from your sin this morning? You're watching online, you're here in the sanctuary, you're, you're upstairs in the upper room to realize that Jesus loves you, that he died for you, and that he rose again. And John the Baptist's message is clear that we're sinners and we need a Savior. But thankfully for Jesus, he came, he died for our sins, and he rose again. You know if you've trusted Christ for salvation. And if up until this point you haven't said yes to Jesus, may today, this Labor Day weekend, be the day where you say yes to Christ. Why is it important? Because you're Eternity, heaven or hell, is determined by your decision of what you're going to do with Christ. Don't think it's a matter of association. Don't think it's because you've come to church or you grew up in a Christian family or you went to a Christian school or you vote Republican. Sorry, that's not going to cut it. You need a personal savior to say, Lord, you died for me and you rose again. There's also an element of repentance for us as believers not to be saved, but because we are saved. To keep short accounts with the Lord. Monday morning is trash day in our house. It's going to be affected by Labor Day tomorrow. But it's going to be Tuesday this week. But normally on Sunday nights, go through and get all the trash, put it in the trash cans, get it out to the curb because they come early Monday mornings. We don't want to miss it. Because what happens if we miss it for a week? It's no good, right? And as believers, we want to keep short accounts with the Lord and walk in a lifestyle of repentance and not get a hard heart towards sin. And this is an amazing promise from God in Acts chapter 3 that when we repent, that a time of refreshing comes from the presence of the Lord. There's nothing worse as a believer carrying around sin in our hearts and our lives and wrestling with with the Lord and wrestling with with the Holy Spirit because we feel that distance from the Lord and God is gracious to provide that distance so that we'll come back to him I believe that God's prior to this service has been working in our hearts in some area of sin where he's saying will you repent because it's very easy for us to get frustrated at a dark culture, to get frustrated at all of these decisions that are, that are taking place. But do you know where judgment begins? It begins in the house of God. It begins in my heart. It begins in your heart. Do you know where spiritual revival begins? It begins with the people of God. And it may be sexual sin. It may be pornography. It may be adultery. It may be fornication, sex before marriage. And God's wanting his people to walk in his design for sexuality. If we believe God's word about sexuality, well, let's live it first. If we believe God's message on the sanctity of life, let's live it first. Let's treat people that, 
in a way that reflects that they're made in God's image. So what is it that the Lord's tugging on our hearts? But because he loves us, he's saying, repent. Because he loves us, he's saying, it's time for a change. And that change is one that bears fruit of, of repentance. The promise of God is that we confess our sin, that he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's written to believers. Confession is agreeing with God. God, I agree with you that this sin is wrong in my life. I'm no longer going to justify it or try to hide it. I'm turning away from it. And what does God do? He's gracious to forgive us of our sin to wash us and to cleanse us in a way that only he can. So let's pray for that in our, in our lives uh, this morning. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we ask that you would search us. We ask that you would, would know us, that you would reveal any wicked way And let's wait upon the Holy Spirit for a few moments together. Let's give the Holy Spirit room to reveal things in our hearts and our lives. Just confess it to the Lord. Agree with God right now. Just open up your heart before him. Jesus, we thank you for your promise that if we confess our sin, that you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We receive your forgiveness. And also we ask for power. We don't have the power to overcome sin in our lives. So would you baptize us afresh in the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, would you lead us, empower us to live in your design for sexuality. Lord, to empower us to love our neighbor as ourself, to treat people in a way that, that honors you. And Lord, we pray for our city, we pray for our government leaders, Lord, we pray for our culture that is trying to silence your message. And we ask for a movement of the gospel. We pray for leaders that don't know you, that they would come to know you, that they would realize that they're wrestling with you, that you would bring believers in their life that could share the gospel with them, live it out before them. Lord, this issue of life and life beginning in the womb and Lord, such a desire to to end life in the womb. Lord, we pray that there would be a knowledge of the gospel, that there would be a knowledge of Jesus. Jesus, we need you to work in our lives. We need you to work in our city. We need you to work in our country. And we humble ourselves before you in Jesus' name, amen.